When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Alex, and you're tuned into the Market Adventures podcast. It is Tuesday, February 16th, and today's interview is going to be a life changer. Chris was an average corporate employee who followed the only thing he knew for decades, conventional wisdom. After losing a significant amount of his assets to an event out of his control, his mind was opened to a different type of investing, investing in real assets and private deals mostly insulated from volatility, risk, and taxation. In a relatively short period, Chris climbed out of his financial abyss, increased his net worth many times over, and now shares his experience and knowledge through his alternate investing blog at theprolificinvestor.net. But before we start, make sure you go on like the Market Adventures podcast Twitter page at Investing pod tweet at me and let me know do you invest in any alternative investments there's a real gem at around 23 minutes in this episode enjoy the show Today, uh, I am a uh, alternative investment blogger at theprolificinvestor.net, and I'm all about alternative investments over conventional investments. So I write articles at my blog, and there's sometimes there's videos, and there's free resources there. And so I'm just kind of uh, obsessed with alternative investments and basically moving people out of conventional investments, which are stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs, and 401ks and IRA, and moving them up something that that I call, and I've created called the hierarchy of investors. And because it's kind of like climbing a mountain. When you get to the top, you know, the air is cleaner, the view is is better, and it's just, it's just awesome. But uh, it's kind of a, a secret hidden out there in the open. So that's kind of what I do today. I'm a retired corporate guy. I worked in the corporate world for a lot of years. And I wish that uh, I had known 20 or 25 years ago what I know now. And uh, my life would have taken a different path, no complaints. Uh, but I'm particularly interested in, uh, you know, reaching younger people because they have the advantage that old guys like me don't have. And that's the advantage of time. So the earlier you can learn this stuff and kind of take the path less traveled, I think that was Robert Frost, you know, it, your life could be completely different. So that's what I do today. What brought you into these alternative investments? And then tell us what alternative investments are. Uh, you, are your listeners can't see this, but you've seen this. I, I created, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to paint a picture here. So, uh, so I, you know, in trying to grow the influence uh, of my blog and really try to reach people, some people said, well, Chris, what are you trying to do? And I said, well, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, on the on the first level, you've got the physiological needs, food, water, shelter, and then and then you move up until you, you hit self-actualization at the top. I said, 
there, there's, there's, there's a hierarchy of investors. And at the bottom, actually, the way I've depicted it is they're not even on the hierarchy or pyramid. They're in the shadow of the pyramid is what I called conventional investments. And conventional investments are basically all publicly traded things, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs, and, and cash and CDs. Those things are conventional investments. And then everything else is alternative investment. So real estate, commodities, ownership of private shares and business, cash value, life insurance, notes. So the funny thing is that when when people say, well, I have, you know, I have a well-diversified portfolio in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and ETFs, they're not <laughs> diversified at all because they're only in the paper asset class. They have no real assets. They have no commodities. They have no businesses. So, and so what I'm trying to do is, uh, is, is basically lift people or pull people or push people up this pyramid with knowledge because on the hierarchy that I've created on the left side, there is this long list of all mostly overwhelming benefits that you get. And there's a couple of neutral items and there's a couple uh, negative items, but mostly it's overwhelmingly positive. And so I'm hoping that if, you know, I can muster all my communication skills through my articles and videos that uh, people will walk away going, oh my gosh, why am I stuck down here in the shadow of the pyramid? And the reason is because there's a lot of money to be made by bankers and financial advisors and mutual funds. There's lots of money and fees that are being made down there. And so, so you see it. Think about the advertising, you know, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Vanguard, uh, you know, there's just and but you don't unless you step out of the mainstream media, there is all there is advertising about alternatives, but you don't find them where most people consume their media. You got to get on great podcasts like this one, you know, in order to, you know, get a, a better view of things. And uh, it's funny, it was about 2008. And there were a lot of, you know, a lot of people had financial difficulties in 2008. I had a, a personal financial event that happened in 2008, where I lost at about, you know, and I was about what, 40, 44, or something like that, mid 40s where I lost 55% of my assets and thousands of dollars a month in cash flow uh, due to this life event. And, you know, if I was going to retire someday, something was going to have to change. You know, I was going to have to work longer, get smarter, take higher risks, get better returns. And a friend of mine named Bill, and he knows this story, he knows who he is. He had suggested that I, I read this book and I bought the book and it sat on my nightstand for longer than I care to admit. And um, and I would pick it up every once in a while, read a few pages. And then I was doing some traveling and I was, uh, you know, on an airplane. And I thought, OK, this is I'm, I've got I've got time here. I got nothing else to do. And so I finally finished reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And as with many millions of people around the world, that book changed my life. And there was kind of a. Uh, you know, a call to action at the end. And I'd always wanted to be a real estate investor and I hadn't owned uh, many houses, but out here in, in the Seattle area, it's not a good rental market because the prices uh, even then were rising faster than rents and the properties never cash flowed unless you would own them for a long time. And what Robert Kiyosaki talks about is, you know, you buy for cash flow. You don't buy for the, in the hopes of appreciation. So, um, I was sitting in my little uh, studio condo at the time, 
and uh, doing something on, on the computer. And an advertisement came on the radio and it was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad organization. They were having a free seminar. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> this is almost like, you know, divine intervention. I had read the book. I was, I was fired up. And so uh, on the day that I was to go um, to this event, you know, it was probably about 20, 25 miles away. Um, my 92 pickup truck wouldn't start. And I was just like, yeah, you know, I wanted terribly badly to go to this. And I was like, okay, I am not going to let this. So I found a rental car company that would drop off a car at my, at my condo. And I made it to, I made it to the seminar. And if you've ever done any kind of these kinds of things, the, the free seminar is only, you know, the upsell to the next level and the next level and the next level of education. Uh, so my son was probably about um, not quite driving age. He might have been 14 or 15 at the time. So I took him to the next um, seminar and uh, we put down a, not an insignificant amount of money uh, during the t- right after I had lost 55 percent of my assets and thousands of dollars of cash flow uh, uh, on a package of, of training in real estate. And he and I traveled around the country for the next couple of years, you know, taking these classes as they were available, you know, in different subjects. And so that kind of that kind of started that. And then my daughter was going to school at Western Washington University up in Bellingham, Washington. And at the end of her freshman year, she decided that she did not want to live in the dorms anymore. And she wanted to move off campus. And I was okay with that. But it was like, I'll be darned if I'm going to pay somebody else's mortgage up here for the next three years. So she and I bought a duplex together. Uh, When I say she and I bought it, her name was on the deed, but that was about the extent of it. So she and I bought it. And the the reason we did that together is because that was during Obama's first time home buyer credit program. And we got a, a, I don't know, it was a 10 or $12,000 check uh, for purchasing that unit. And then uh, so she sublet one of the rooms and her two bedroom side, and then we rented the other side and she was the on-site property manager. And I was a hundred miles away doing some of the other stuff. And wow. uh, so that was our first uh, uh, venue into real estate. And then uh, there's a whole there's a whole string of things that that came after that. So, I mean that that story just in itself has so many different and important aspects to really talk about, right? The fact that one you included your children in this journey, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I had a I had a guest on um, that we spoke about that same thing right including your your children in your journey so they know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. and opening up the this taboo subject of money and finance opening it up in your house so that it becomes a comfortable discussion yep. and that when you're building wealth because at, at this point you're you've cons- you've grown a considerable wealth for yourself mm-hmm. but now if they were to inherit anything from you they now have the 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 background to be able to manage it right, where a right. lot of children are left in the dark. Yeah. They know the money exists, but when they yeah. get it, they don't know what to do with it. So you've done a, a wonderful job in that aspect. Yeah. Well, the most important thing I can give them is knowledge, is the knowledge. That's the most valuable thing of all, you know. You took a, a leap, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the car wouldn't start. Right then and there, most people are saying, okay, well, it's, they say it's not meant to be. <laughs> but you said... It's meant to, be. meant to be. Yeah, no, yeah, screw it. I'm going to mm-hmm. make it happen, right? Yeah, and yeah. you call the rental car company. 
you you drove to this place, and then now the second part of this is you sat there, you knew it was an upsell, but you then went and charged your card to keep this going. Yeah, I, I can't afford to do anything more. And Robert Kiyosaki says, don't say you can't afford it. You know, say, how can I afford it? And, how can I afford you know, it? I was in a better, you know, I had a good paying job. So, I mean, there were people in that room, you know, that probably, you know, literally didn't know where the next month's rent was coming from. And they put their credit card out there. And I was in that situation. So I don't want to make it sound, you know, more dramatic than it was. I mean, I was able to do it, but it was still an uncomfortable time you know, financially. And you said something uh, that I, I wanted to go back to. You said about the taboo subject about talking about money. One of the first instructors we had was a guy named Mark Harisco, and he is still around uh, doing things. And a lot of the the first class or classes would have, was about mindset. And he said, look, rich people talk about money. Poor people don't. He said, if I was in amongst a group of my friends and I was talking about a house or an apartment building or something that I bought, and, and somebody asked me how much I paid for it. If I didn't tell them, that would be completely abnormal. He said, but that's not the way most people are. So from that day forward, the kids and I talk about money. Dad, how much money do you make at your job? Here it is. You know, the, you know, the doors were wide open. And you talked about involving the kids. Well, when I was uh, – and then as you move up the, the hierarchy, you know, you start to put it, you, you form different ownership structures because they provide asset protection as well as tax benefits. So I created a management company to manage, you know, that one unit at the time. And guess who were officers in my corporation? Both of my kids. So whenever we got together for a meal or did something, uh, guess what we, guess what we were inevitably talking about? We were talking about business. And, and now, you know, that because I had my, my officers of the company together, that that became a deductible business expense. Uh, one one of the things is tax efficiency, right? People don't realize that about from all sorts of sorts of taxes and fees, about half of your income goes to taxes. And the hardest type of income to shelter is the W two income, and and the portfolio income from capital gains. Now the tax rates are lower, but you have to ma- you have to mix up the right types of losses and or depreciation from real estate with the right types of income. And when you start becoming a more sophisticated investor, you pick the types of income that you want to receive because you know that that's the type of income that's easier to shelter. In 2019, I paid zero federal income taxes. And I, I originally did a blog talking about it was number 28, my second favorite tax saving story. Well, I, where I talk about how I took a huge, uh, I created a tax problem for myself by taking a huge distribution from a 401k because I know that the tax benefits are better outside the 401k. But I found a way to not pay any taxes on that distribution. And I did it so well that I overachieved and I didn't pay any taxes at all. And I wasn't going <laughs> to mention that because, frankly, some people are going to be pissed off. And but I decided to go do it because, you know, Trump paid 750 and I paid zero. So he was kind of an underperformer in the tax area. (laughs) But it's it was it's completely ethical and completely legal. And, you know, the taxes, all I did was utilize the incentives provided in the tax code. The tax code is there to motivate. uh, It's to influence behavior. And you can agree or disagree whether the incentives are right or not. But as you become a more sophisticated investor, uh, 
you can do this. It's okay. Man, that, well, that that right there is motivating. <laughs> That's why I like having people like you on who speak about those other things. Like I talk about stocks. I talk about trading options, um, building a long-term portfolio, dividends. Mm-hmm. But I also like having people on who talk about real estate and, and other aspects like that. So for, for you and your hierarchy, from that shadow, what's the, what's the next step up? So on the pyramid, I've got all these different levels and they're not, they're kind of in, in an order, the, a little bit of the way that I progressed. So unlike Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you don't have to start at the top, at the bottom, move the top. You could enter it anywhere, but most people are going to crawl before they walk and walk before they run. So, uh, you know, so just moving up, you know, so one of the first things I started doing was notes. So a note is simply a loan. Uh, the mortgage that you have on your house is is a note. So, you know, after the the two thousand eight two thousand seven eight financial crisis, you know, there were all there was all all of these bad loans. Well, people don't know that the banks the banks aren't in they're not set up to have the large number of foreclosures that we had in two thousand seven two. They're not equipped to be property managers, so. What they did then and what I'm sure they do more now is they just sell off the bad debt instead of, you know, yeah, they, you know, they uh, they can foreclose and take the house, but they'll just they'll just sell your mortgage for pennies on the dollar Then I can buy it. And so let's say there was a you had a mortgage with an unpaid balance of one hundred thousand dollars. So that one hundred thousand dollars is a liability to you, but it's an asset to the bank. Now you've stopped paying. Now it's what's called a non-performing note. And the bank might sell me that hundred thousand dollar, their hundred thousand dollar asset for fifty thousand, or thirty thousand, or twenty thousand. It just depends. Oh, yes, and now yes, I yes. can now I buy that note, and the note is secured by the property, and so I can call you, and I can restructure the loan in a much better way than the bank could because I've only got you know. 50 cents or less on the dollar into that. So I can change your payment, lower the interest rate, do all kinds of things. And so I did that for a while. That's a very hard business. And uh, I really value my time. So I don't do that anymore. Um, And so I did some, uh, you know, single family residences and I did some small, you know, up to four unit type of stuff. And again, you know, I, and I was managing those things and, you know, as I got more sophisticated and I actually had a bookkeeper and she produced, uh, you know, quarterly financials for me. And I would look at them. I go, you know what? Is that all the money that I made on that last year? It's like, I think I can make more money and be less involved. And so uh, then I got into uh, funds and syndications. So now instead, you know, so uh, I'm I, I invest mainly in the real estate area in apartment buildings today. And so, and and so a lot of what I do uh, <clears throat> is limited to accredited investors, and we could talk about that. But that means you have to have a million dollars of net worth, or an income of two hundred thousand dollars a year if you're single, and three hundred if you're married. And and so, you know, now, now I I'm a partial owner of apartment buildings all over the country. You know, I had never I was going to say I'd never seen them when I when I travel. You know, I I'll stop and visit one, and I'll write off a portion of that trip, checking on my parts my assets, but, you know, uh, you know, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, the Phoenix Scottsdale area, you know, I'm, I'm part owners in uh, apartment buildings all over the country and they're professionally managed. They have done 
they've been almost unaffected by COVID. And, and the, the, uh, and this is where people kind of will go sideways when I say, you know, there's nothing that I invest in that, that gets less than a 15% annual return. It's routine for me to get returns of 15 to 30%. And, and, uh, on one hand, I hate to say that because people immediately go, oh, well, if it's if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But it is true. Um, and I was thinking of if somebody ever asked me a question, say, what you know, what is one key to success? And I would say it's having a childlike curiosity when so somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've got this investment and and, and you could do X, Y, Z. And I've never heard of it before. And it sounds too good to be true. 90% of people will run the other way and I will not run the other way. I will run to it and figure it out. And it has made me a ton of money. Um, other, other investments, automated teller machines. I own automated teller machines all across the country by model number, by serial number, never seen them since February of 2018. I get a consistent uh, check every month for the same amount because of the way that these machines are structured and owned. And, you know, and I've never seen one. I talked to a guy the other day because of a podcast and article I was in, and he's a, he's a conventional investor. And it's what I call the double standard of questions. So uh, the conventional investors will ask me questions about my investments that they never ask of their own investments. And they'll say, well, Chris, is that, is that return guaranteed? I said, well, no, it's not guaranteed, and neither is anything that you invest in unless you're <laughs> investing in U.S. securities. And they're going, well, um, you know, what? Uh, how do I know this guy or this company isn't going to run off with my money? Well, Enron ran off you with your money, and WorldCom ran off with your money. So it happens in the, you know, in the publicly traded sector as well. But here's the difference. When I'm investing in one of my – if you're investing in uh, Apple or Boeing or Campbell Soup, you can't call the CEO up and go have lunch with them. When I make investments, I pick up the phone. I call the people. I'll Sometimes we'll go have a meal or I'll meet them somewhere. And so I know, you know, who I'm investing with. And uh, the guy was asking about it. I, said, I can't find this guy anywhere on the Internet. And I said, yeah, you call him and he will pick up the phone. And you can have a conversation with him if you want to fly to where he is and meet him. Where do you see somebody breaking in in their early 20s? Um, into that hierarchy. Yeah. Well, I did a, um, I did an article on, on my blog because, uh, and and I compared a, a putting money in a four hundred one k with a with an employer with a with a company match of I think it was about four percent, which is the average, and getting an eight percent return, and I compared it to buying one single family rental with some very conservative estimates for cash flow and appreciation. So why do people put their money in, in 401ks? You get free money. You get the employer match. You get a tax break. And so that's why they do it. So I compared the uh, 401k investment, you know, something like a, a $20,000 investment into a 401k versus putting $20,000 down on a $100,000 single family rental and getting a, you know, an $80,000 loan. The single, all things, considering all families, all factors, the single family rental is better all day long, all day long. And so, you know, you said, you know, what, what would I have done differently? I would have never put a dime into a 401k 
knowing what I know now. Now, the exception is Roths have some really good things, right? But so you're, you're people that are in their 20s. I would suggest they get started in real estate. And, and I know that it's a, it's a big deal. You know, you're buying a house, you're doing the property management, et cetera. But there's, there's another way. So across the country, there are what, what are called uh, turnkey single family rental providers. And these are people, and I know of a company in Memphis, and there's one out in Oklahoma, and there's one in Arkansas. Anyway, basically what they do is these are people that specialize in that particular market. They go look for houses that are going to be good single-family rentals. They buy them. They do, uh, they'll do whatever repairs that are needed, and then they'll rent them. They'll put qualified tenants in them. And, and they do the property management, and then you can come along with cash or more likely bring a bank loan, and you can purchase what's called a loaded or a turnkey rental, a single-family rental that's already it's already done, it's already got the people in it. And I talked to this one guy, and this is kind of, it's, it's about, uh, you know, so this guy's your partner, right? He's, he's purchased the property, uh, he's he's done the repairs. He's put the tenants in place. He's managing it. And he said, Chris, look, he said, I'm involved in it's like a vertical integration. I'm involved in every aspect of this. And when I sell it to you, I'm still the property manager. He said, so I'm not going to buy a crappy house. It's a bad rental. Do shabby repairs and and put deadbeat tenants in it because he says I'm going to be stuck with the problem. Ah. So, you know, he and I, we all want the same thing. So. Man, I would if I was in my, you know, I said this to my son. I said, man, I wish I had a guy like me sitting across the table from me (laughs) when I was 20. I said, oh, look at us. I'm that guy. Here I am. Here you are. Right. Um, So anyway, I would I would uh, I would if I could go back and I would have done something like that. And I know it seems like a a big thing, but uh, I used to be the kind of guy that if there was something that it took 10 steps to do it. I would not get started until I fully all, understood all 10 steps. And guess what? Then you never get started. It's just, it's, it's difficult. And you take one step at a time. And you, one of the questions you sent me is, you know, uh, was one of, what's one of my favorite quotes. And I can't remember who said it or exactly what it was, but it was something like this. It's not the goal that you achieve at the end. It's the person that you become along the way on the journey. So, so anyway, that's my very long answer to how would young people start out. I'll give you another clue. If you want to go to ahpservicing.com, this is a fund that does notes. And I don't know what they're paying now. It used to be 12%, might be 10 or 8 now. But for as little as $100, you can start getting, you know, 8 to 10% on your money tomorrow. And they will send you a check monthly or they will reinvest it for you. So there's a, you know, if you got, want to have a place to park money. There, there's a there's a starter. So, okay, interesting. So, tell us about because I, I and we didn't bring it up yet, but people are looking for this sort of information. They can go to your blog, yep. but you you also have something coming out. So, I want you to tell us about that. <laughs> I have a book coming out, and yes, it's called book. it's called Get Off Your Ass and Manage Your Money: Why You Need Alternative Investments. And really, the book is going to be about explaining this hierarchy of investors in, in detail. So what is what does someone look to to get out of get out of the book? I mean, outside of the the, the amazing title, by the way, um, what can look, somebody look to get out of that book? 
Well, my my goal is that by the time you get done reading this book, you will just be, you know, banging your head against the wall and go, oh, my gosh, this is a no brainer. Why, why I have I have now got to get out of the shadow of the pyramid and get it on it and start climbing. So that's what I'm hoping that that's what I want to convey from the book. And if it doesn't do that, then I've I've totally missed the mark. So that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. Let us know what to do tomorrow when we wake up. Like, what's the first thing that we can do to to start moving in that in that direction? Um, you you need uh, the biggest thing. You, you need financial education. So yeah. uh, it, it's the, the, the one of the draws to the conventional investments is it's easy. It doesn't take it doesn't take. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to disparage conventional investors, but you know the, what people set up a, a, now. This 401k your is a if you work for somebody you. You know, you know, you're opted into a 401k and they pick the investments and the amount and yeah. you have to opt out. So that shows you that it takes absolutely no knowledge to do this. So you need education and uh, podcasts are your best friends. So podcasts like yours. And if you go to my website or the resources tab, but you've got to start, you know, uh, a number of people have said, and I, you, you become what you think about. So you have got to start pouring it really, it's, it's, it's alternative education. I didn't get this by going to an <laughs> MBA. So, you know, I, you see the pattern here, right? It's all alternative, right? Alternative. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to start filling your brain and, and, you know, in your spare time, you're getting up in the morning, you're taking a shower, you're going to job, may or may not be as much commuting, but you can get the equivalent of a, of a college degree in that spare time. And, you know, one podcast will lead you to another. You'll stumble across AHP and go, oh, my God, I can get 10%. Wow, there's a real estate fund that I can invest in, and I can make more money in real estate than if I bought the property and managed it myself. And it's just a, it's just a domino effect. And I've got a bunch of resources there. Uh, there's some books and some podcasts, but just start, you know, the podcasts and audiobooks. Man, those are those are your best friend. You, If you were, you were in college in, the 80, in 85, you didn't have podcasts. Yes, right? right. You're right. You didn't have the, you know, social media, people posting on social media, all this stuff. You didn't have the the YouTube, the YouTube university, mm-hmm. right? You had to go the old fashioned way, reading books, libraries, seminars. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, 20 year olds, millennials, you have access to all of this stuff on, on your phones yeah. and you can play it nonstop through Bluetooth devices, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing stopping you from taking a shower and spending eight minutes listening to an audio book or yeah. getting in your car, getting, there's nothing stopping you. And it all seeps in. You may not get every single word, but you're learning small things, small things, yeah. everything a day. And it just builds. It and then when you're sitting in front of the property, you know, you're, you're picking from all these little things you've been learning and now you know what to do instead yeah. of waiting for all the lights to be green, yeah. right? You just get up and go. Yeah. Right. So I think that that what you just said was was very inspiring. And that quote, uh, the quote that you gave us, if you do you remember it, let's repeat it, it one it, more time. It, so, it, yeah, it's not the goal that you achieve at the end of the day. It's the person you become, you become along the way. I love it. The person you become along the way. Yeah. So I'm going to link all of that stuff in the description, the blog, yep. 
we're gonna link the um the book's not out yet but we're gonna everybody just remember the book right get off your ass and start managing your money <laughs> yeah. all right you can't forget that title yeah. um and there's a ton and- of resources on the resources page it's got the books it's got the podcast i gotta i gotta mention tom wheelwright the smartest tax guy in the country his book is called uh tax-free wealth so uh, uh you know I, everything i know about taxes i learned from tom or his podcast wealth ability so that, but there's just tons of resources on there. So, um, yeah, you know, and you don't, again, guys, you don't know what you don't know that you don't know. It's called triple darkness. But the only way that, to get out of triple darkness is to start is to start looking and listening to something yeah. different, right? Yeah. And and my quote of the day that's going to go along with everything that you've said today is you move in the direction of your dominant thought. Mm-hmm. So if you're constantly thinking about what you want, if it's wealth, if it's um, just money, a disposable income, if it's time, if it's the ability to live in Washington and to travel to Hong Kong or 30 countries over the course of a lifetime, if it's all these things, if you're constantly thinking about that and then finding things to add to that, then you'll be you'll be a prolific investor in uh, no time. So, so you know how money grows when you double it, you take a penny and tomorrow it's two and then it's four. And that's and by, by immersing yourself with books and podcasts and audiobooks, you're going to you're going to you're going to have a compounding of your knowledge and education. And before long, you're going to go, oh, my gosh, how did I get here? How did I get so damn smart? Right. Uh, but just those little, you know, Jim Rohn said this, the difference between success and va- success and failure is a small a small number of disciplines practiced daily. Please, please, please tell me you realized how great this interview was and started taking notes. If you didn't, go back with a pen and paper. What was your favorite alternative investment vehicle that Chris taught us today? Was it notes? Was it investing in turnkey investment properties? I personally love the idea of owning ATMs. Go to Twitter and let me know your favorite. If you're interested in learning more about alternative investments, visit Chris's free blog at theprolificinvestor.net and look out for his book release later this year. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to make someone feel special today even if that person is yourself. Be well, and until next time, don't seek security, seek adventure.